I'm going to share with you the four questions that these private equity firms have when evaluating your practice to buy it. Hello, welcome to the Better Outcomes Show, where we explore the possibilities of a new healthcare. Each episode, we bring you a conversation with leaders across the healthcare industry, exploring topics ranging from new treatment techniques and interventions to novel service delivery methods and business models. And now your host, Rafi Salazar from Rehab U Practice Solutions, a leader in patient engagement and retention strategy. Let's explore the possibilities of a new healthcare. Hey there, welcome to another episode of the Better Outcomes Show. I'm your host, Rafi Salazar with Rehab U Practice Solutions. And this week, I am sharing with you a video I shot a little bit ago. I don't even know if it's on the YouTubes yet, but it will be by the end of this week. About some conversations that I've had recently with folks from private equity firms, specifically around the idea and the concept of purchasing and valuating business deals. So uh, these were private equity firms that were looking at purchasing or making an investment in a few privately held healthcare clinics. Some of them were multi-clinics, some of them were single clinics. And I wanted to share with you just the questions they had for me that I was asking or answering for them because I thought that they they were pretty insightful and some of the conclusions you could draw from them probably would help many of us out in running our own practices and businesses, especially if the end goal is to sell at some point. Now, I made a LinkedIn post on this topic and got some feedback from Mike Pekatowski, who's gonna be on the show in a couple weeks talking about valuating and purchasing what to look for when purchasing a private healthcare clinic, specifically in the in the physical therapy space. And he had a little bit of feedback because like I said, I'm not a, a mergers and acquisitions consultant. I don't do, I don't get brought in on a lot of uh, consulting engagements that are that are on the lines of, okay, we're gonna purchase this clinic or we wanna purchase this clinic. Can you do the valuation and can you, you know, do everything, you know, structure the deal and all that? I don't do any of that. A lot of my work really tends to be on the operational efficiency, on the, the back end, the front end marketing systems, all of that. So the conversations that I was having with these uh, PE firms was really conversations around, we're evaluating this business for purchase. What do you see are some of the risks given some of the data they've already provided us about, I don't know, their marketing or their um, revenue, their payer mix. Um, what are the, what are some of the things that you would be interested in looking at or digging deeper into? And that, those are the kind of conversations I have. So I didn't have a, a big frame of reference for what typically gets asked by these firms when they're evaluating a business. But I have noticed a shift over the last few that I've had conversations with over the last year. Like I said on the video, it's, it's probably been six, seven over the last 10, 12 months or so. So again, not a huge volume, but it was interesting to just kind of see the difference in the questions. So I'm gonna share the questions with you in the video and break it down. I think my main takeaway, and I'll, I'll mention this again at the end too, is really what these questions mean for you, the practice owner or manager or somebody with an equity stake in a practice, what it means for you when 
choosing on what initiatives to focus on or to build or systems to implement in your practice or in the healthcare organization itself, because some are going to be more valuable than others, especially if this is your target um, acquire. If your goal is to sell to or seek some kind of investment from a private equity firm, maybe for to recapitalize or to uh, to get some capital for some kind of expansion or something like that. These are the questions that are gonna be asked about your practice, and it makes sense to have maybe some data and some answers for those questions. So, uh, without any further ado, here's me talking about these four questions. Hey there, Rafi with Rehab You Practice Solutions here. And this week on the podcast, I want to talk with you specifically about a couple conversations I've had with private equity firms or PE firms that are looking at buying private healthcare practices. And I'm going to share with you the four questions that these private equity firms have when evaluating your practice to buy it. All right, let's jump right in. So I will admit right off the bat (laughs) that I am not a mergers and acquisitions consultant in the healthcare space. The only reason I feel like I ever get pulled into these conversations with uh, private equity firms or organizations looking at acquiring healthcare practices is because they're looking at evaluating the business itself from a from a strategic standpoint. Maybe they're looking at what can be exploited, what are quick ways to get some ROI, does this business look like a a viable business long term? But I don't get pulled in on like, okay, this is how you do the deal and this is what it would look like. I don't do any of that. If you have questions about that or you're looking at getting your practice ready to sell um, and you want some some to have a conversation with somebody that does this all day, every day, Mike Pekatowski, he's been on the show a couple of times, is a great resource. I'll link to his information in the show notes, both on YouTube and in the show notes on the website for the Better Outcomes show and uh, follow up with him and just, you know, say, I'm looking at selling my business. What do I need to do to get ready? This is really just going to be a conversation about a few questions that have been asked recently by some of the PE firms that I've talked to about specific businesses in the physical medicine space and whether or not, you know, they were evaluating whether or not to invest some or uh, large portion of, of some revenue into the business. Um, so a couple of these were PE firms that were looking at not acquiring the entire business, but a part of their business of this business. And then some were looking at purchasing outright, but the questions were relatively similar and they've changed over the years. So like I said, I'm not a mergers and acquisitions consultant, so I don't get involved in these questions all the time. I've probably had maybe I don't know, half a dozen conversations with PE firms over the last, you know, 12 months or so. So not not very, very regularly at all. But it's been enough for me to see a change in the trend. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to share with you the four questions. Well, the three questions and then a bonus one that usually gets added on at the end. And then I'll kind of break down each one and kind of the way I see it and what it means for you as a practice owner if you're looking at potentially selling part or all of your business. So um, the first question was given XYZ clinics particular strategy for growth, um, what are the risks in the event of an economic downturn? Um, the second question is what potential changes in the healthcare landscape over the next 12 to 24 months could impact revenue at this clinic? Particularly the follow-up questions in this series of questions revolved around payer mix, Um, fee schedule or contracted rates and the ability to negotiate 
and then patient volume or pipeline of patients. Uh, and then the third main question was, given the current economic environment, so again, we're, we're talking, this is 2023, so this question probably changes depending on where the economy goes over the next little bit, but given the current economic environment um, and the state of the physical medicine space, is it wise to consider investing in an organization or investing in a, in a clinic or a practice with the end goal of developing additional clinic sites at this time. So again, this is a very much, um, you talk about like evergreen questions or something like that. This question is probably one of those ones that changes over time depending on where we're at. Obviously interest rates have gone up, it's more expensive to, um, to borrow money and, and, and take out a loan or something like that to invest in this. So this is one of those things that people want, to, these, these firms want to know about. Is it a wise decision to invest some capital that we might be paying interest on with the express purpose of expanding either geographic footprint or, or space itself or something like that. And then the bonus question that's usually followed up with all these conversations is, let's say this investment gets approved and we decide to buy part or all of this practice. Um, what areas of this practice are being either under, underutilized or inefficient or have the, the potential to deliver a quick ROI or return on investment or value add by implementing a few simple operational or process improvements. So let's kind of break that down from the beginning. Now, obviously, the answer to these questions is gonna depend a lot on your specific geographic location, um, your region, your market, the details of your practice and your strategy, like are you looking at the majority of your caseload, for example, being Medicare patients versus a workman's comp and kind of the intricacies of those two different markets and service spaces. Um, but we'll kind of dive in and, and explore it a little bit. The thing that has struck me in all of these conversations recently that I've had, so I've had, you know, like I said, half a dozen, six or seven or so over the last year, early on, maybe a year ago, um, the questions still revolved around kind of what are the inefficiencies, what can we do to get a quick ROI, um, but the last three that I've had, which have been over the last month and a half, so December to, to January of 2023, has been really focused, these conversations have been really focused on downward risk mitigation. So what are the risks here? What can we do to protect ourselves in the event that we were to buy this clinic or this practice and then something happens, the, you know, the economy tanks or their sources of referrals, right? whatever it is, but there's, a, there's been a whole lot more focus recently, at least in the conversations that I've had, which again is not hundreds and hundreds, but it's a handful, um, about this idea of downward risk mitigation. So um, it seemed like every time I finished answering a question, particularly about the conversation that I had just two days ago with a PE firm, um, uh, maybe I was answering a question they had about this particular practice or just stating a fact that I noticed about this practice, the follow-up question was always something along the lines of, what's the risk there? Or, you know, does that make this practice vulnerable to XYZ, you name it, um, a meteor, <laughs> what, whatever the risk is, they had, they had questions about it. Now, perhaps that's because the, the practice in and of itself that we were talking about specifically had a lot of locations. It was a, it was a larger practice. It had more than 10 locations, which meant that it was going to be a larger investment, a bigger, bigger buy, if you would. Um, so obviously, you're, you're looking at all the variables, and if you're investing a whole lot more money, it becomes more behoove you to do your due diligence before you even kind of progress down that path. 
or maybe it's the fact that this is the way that private equity firms normally go about evaluating investments in, in the healthcare practice, right, or a healthcare space. You know, I, again, I'll admit I'm not an M&A advisor, um, and I only get involved with these types of discussions to the extent of providing insight into the operations, the business development strategy, or the clinical process of care at these practices for the in express purpose of, of improvement post-investment, uh, post right? So again, I've only talked about half a dozen or so in the last year, six or seven in the last year, but there does seem to have been a shift in the last few conversations, like I mentioned, to that of this downward risk mitigation. Now, I'm gonna reference again, Mike Pekatowski. He's been on the show a couple times, but he does a, a monthly, it's a market update specifically for the physical therapy space, but it kind of rounds out all the public acquisitions that have occurred in the, in the physical therapy space. And one of the things that was very, that has been very interesting to me to see over the last you know, six or seven months following him and following these reports that he puts out is that the shift has very much moved to like small one, two location clinics and practices being gobbled up. And then there's a big gap between that and like eight plus clinics. You know, it's the, the clinics that are the practices that have one or two locations are making up the majority. I think last in last month it was like in the 40s percentage wise of the acquisitions. And then there's you know single digits all the way up until you get to the eight plus, and then it kind of jumps back up to like 25% or something like that. So what that tells me is that the people that are buying healthcare practices these days, you know, the way I would interpret this are they're making small bets on maybe safer bets or bets that are that don't require a whole lot of uh, financing so they're not having to pay interest on it so maybe there's smaller uh, acquisitions that can be done in cash and that also have a very low bottom side risk or downside risk and they're looking for these organizations that maybe are smaller practices that are run inefficiently and because of their either their back office or their operations or things that they see in the practice that are inefficient they can kind of move in and do a very quick turnaround if you would get some quick return on investment and have this practice now you know part of their portfolio and then obviously once you get into the bigger practices there's there's other things economies of scale and, and stuff like that so um let me let me circle back to these four questions and I'm, i'll just kind of give you my thoughts what i would do if i was in a position where i was looking at maybe selling a practice <clears throat> and i wanted to kind of shore it up um, make it attractive to one of these uh, maybe private equity firms or, or buyers is so that first question is what are the inherent risks given this particular practices you know growth strategy so for example if your growth strategy if or if the business model is we're focusing a hundred percent on Medicare patients or you know that age range maybe Medicare and Medicare Advantage we're, we're building some of those com commercial insurances but that's the demographic that we serve and that's gonna be our our strategy for growth if I was in the position of shopping around my practice and trying to get it purchased, what I would want to do is in the way that I'm presenting it, I would want to make it very clear what, I mean, that I, one, that I've taken a look at the risks given this business model and that I have mitigation strategies in place already or, you know, on the docket. I would want to be able to say, okay, listen, I know that, you know, 90% of our practice is Medicare, which means the big risk there would be you know, regulatory changes or CMS decides that they're just not going to pay or, or whatever it is. They're going to cut the fee schedule and all, all the things that, that happen when, when CMS decides they're going to screw, screw something up, right? Um, and I would want to have 
things in place so that the potential buyer could look at it and not just see the risk, but say, okay, the, this, this practice owner or this practice manager has the pieces in place, or at least they're aware of the, of the potential risk, which might make them a little bit more at ease. The second question about what potential changes over the healthcare landscape over the next you know, 12 to 14 months, 12 to 24 months, could impact revenue, I would want to be very solid on um, payer mix. I'd want to be, I want to have all of that data, let's say for the last year or more. Um, one of the things that we do at our practice, and if you're, if you're interested in this, um, shoot me over an email at rafi at rehabupracticesolutions.com and I can share with you some of what we've done at the practice that I run, but I have a dashboard and over a year, basically, what I do is I track the, the previous 10 EOBs for, from all of our ma major payers that we're seeing. If they're outliers, they don't really count. Um, and then it's, it's all in a dashboard, both what we get reimbursed by the insurance company or the payer, and then what is the patient responsibility. It goes up at the top and there's a, a, a weighted averaging system so that we can put in, okay, 20% is Blue Cross Blue Shield, 30% is Medicare, 40% is you know Humana, whatever they are. And it weights each of those um, total compensation. So it averages these, what is the, the patient responsibility, what we get paid by the insurance. It gets averaged into a fee for service, or this is what we get paid per visit for this insurance company. And then on the side, it averages at, it does a weighted average based off the uh, percentage of claims that we submit to each of those payers. And then at the very bottom, it tells us this is your weighted. Um, cost per visit or revenue per visit. So what I can do is I can turn back the, the clock for the, for the last 12 months and say, you know, our cost per visit has gone up or it's gone down and it's gone up or gone down because we've either something has shifted in our uh, payer mix, either intentionally or unintentionally, and these are the steps we can do to change it. So I, I highly recommend tracking your weighted, your actual cost per visit, as opposed to even if you're doing a pro forma or something like that, um, because it's going to give you more of a real time and it's going to put whoever's potentially purchasing your practice at ease because they're going to say, okay, he's got the data. Um, he knows what's going on and he's tracking it. And again, many practices that I've talked to just don't, they might have an idea of their payer mix, but they really don't have an understanding of how that payer mix is affecting their weighted average or their, their actual revenue per visit. Um, so being able to, to document that, show that in, in hard data can be very reassuring for, uh, for somebody that's going to purchase your business or looking at purchasing your practice, but it also gives you a lot of leverage too, because then you can begin changing those things. You can look at your data and say, okay, you know, we're getting, you know, 70% of our, of our income is coming from this payer that pays us very, very low. Let's, what can we do to reduce, either reduce the number of claims we're sending out to that payer or increase, and it's probably gonna be a little bit of both, increase these other payers that are paying us at a higher rate, right? Um, the other thing would be, you know, fee schedule, contracted rates for smaller private practices, maybe in the Z, you know, one to 10 clinics or something like that. It's hard to negotiate higher rates. A lot of cases like Blue Cross Blue Shield is not going to sit down. I own a practice myself. They're not going to sit down with me and negotiate over because I've got one practice that's seeing, you know, six or 7,000 patients a year. They're just not going to, they're not going to negotiate with that. So you want to be aware of it and you want, again, I would want to have like a, a spreadsheet of the payers and the contracted rates and when those things come up for renewal and all that kind of stuff. But unless you're a super big practice, you're not going to have a whole lot of leverage in um, in negotiating fee schedules. But what you can do is just say, listen, this 
this payer dropped down below what was profitable for us, so we cut them. <laughs> We're tracking that. There's a great book. I'm looking for it right now. I think it's um, it's called Islands of Profit in a Sea of Red Ink. And the, the whole point of the book is like you can look at a business that is profitable, but if you dig down into the different components of that business, you can see there are some businesses that are uh, aspects of that business that are super overperforming, right? They're, they're providing the, all of the, of, of the margin of the profit of the business. And then you have some areas of this business that are like anchors or sales. They're like, um, they're dragging down everything. And if you were to cut those out, you could really improve the performance of the business. So um, it's the same thing with payers. Like your payer mix is one of those areas where I would look at and say, listen, we are losing money on you know, XYZ insurance company, we either need to cut them out completely or we need to reduce them so that it becomes profitable for us, right? Um, there's things you can do about like scheduling and how you treat and all that. Not that you ever dictate care by the way you're being reimbursed, but it doesn't do you any good to run a business that's gonna go out of business because you're unprofitable, right? Um, okay, moving on. So the third question that I get that I've been getting asked recently on these conversations really has to do with the, the the idea of expansion and is it wise to expand given this current economic climate now given where we're at now in 2023 at the very beginning interest rates are still up there they're not low like they were a couple years ago um, and money's getting tight people are tightening up their belt so to speak um, this is one of those questions that changes over time, right? And it probably changes on, on, on your location as well. So for example, in my, the city that I'm operating in, we have four big hospitals, um, four big hospital systems. Three of them are, non, are, are for profit and one of them up until recently was nonprofit and now they just got purchased by a big healthcare system that's gonna move in and I'm, I'm assuming gonna start gobbling up all kinds of stuff. Um, in that event, you know, it depends on what your strategy is. If, you're, if your goal is to kind of flip this around and sell it soon, it might make sense to add a couple locations um, in the event that you could do it in a way that is gonna be profitable in the short term too, because again, Mike Pekatowski can tell you a little bit more about this, but you don't wanna add a location and then try to sell your business the next year. That's not good. But if, you're, if your plan is to sell in three, four, five years, it might make sense to look at adding a, a clinic or two now um, so that you can bring up the valuation of your business. That being said, if you're just looking at holding steady, maybe you'd consider an acquisition offer if it was on the table. I would wanna look at, again, your side, your downward risk of opening up a clinic. That brings more overhead, it brings more um, cost in doing it, investment in capital, it ties up capital, especially if you're buying a location and building it out and all of that. Um, same thing could be, go could be said for expanding into a bigger space. So given, personally, my feeling is where we're at, where interest rates are at, um, unless there was a clear ROI, like very clear, we could turn this around pretty quickly. I don't know if I would be adding a location simply to say that we've added locations or to potentially capitalize on a market. I would wanna make sure that we've done the market research, um, that we know that we can do it and be profitable from day one or day 30 at the latest, um, and be able to kind of see the roadmap there and how it fits into our overall strategy of selling the business, if that's the plan, or just you know growing our footprint and becoming more of a, a stable thing over time. So, again, this is going to be one, that's going to be one of those questions that kind of shifts. Maybe in six months, interest rates are, are negative, <laughs> and then it doesn't make sense. You know, I, I don't know. 
Uh, but currently where we're at, I don't think I would be investing in adding locations unless there was a clear, um, a clear path to profitability for that, that location in the next 30 days, right? Um, okay, the, the final question, the bonus question, if you would, that gets asked is, let's say this investment gets approved, what are the areas of the practice that are underutilized or inefficient that we can turn around very quickly to make an ROI? What this tells me as a practice owner and someone that advises uh, private practice owners in this space is that what you need to be doing or what you need to do every couple weeks, every month, is you need to have your own KPIs that you're looking at and noticing areas in the practice that are inefficient and look at it very, very objectively because that is going to be the way that you make more value or make more or add to your valuation in the event of a sale. Because what these, especially PE firms and stuff like that, what they're looking at is a, a way to make a quick ROI and they're going to undercut or discount the, the price in the event of finding something that's a huge inefficiency. So, you know, Jerry Durham talks about this a lot, but like patient engagement and retention and all of that plays a huge role. If you know, if a, if a firm can look at your organization and say, you know what, five or six out of, the, out of every 10 patients that come into this uh, practice don't complete their course of care, they drop off the schedule, we never hear from them again, that's a huge inefficiency that if we can capitalize on, we don't have to do any extra marketing or advertisement and we can bring up the profitability of the business. The same thing can be said for you as the business owner. You need to look at the areas of your practice that are bleeding money, right? That sea of red ink. Um, and look at how you can shore those up because in the event of maybe you do get approached to be acquired or, or whatnot, you want to be able to make sure that you've plugged all the holes and you've maximized the potential value that you can capitalize or realize in the event of a sale. So anyways, that's my thoughts on the subject. Um, and that's all I've got for today. So if you'd uh, if you like the show, head on over to iTunes, leave us a rating and review. If you're watching this on YouTube, hit that subscribe button, hit the bell notification button, and you can get dinged or pinged or whatever happens <laughs> whenever we, whenever we uh, upload a new video. And if you own a private healthcare practice, primarily in the physical medicine space, um, and you're looking for a, a system to attract, acquire, engage, and retain more patients, more clients, um, boost your revenue, boost your margins, reach out to me, uh, rehabupracticesolutions.com. I'd love to have a conversation with you and, and see if it makes sense for, for us to do something together. So until the next time, be safe, be healthy. I will talk to you then. Well, hopefully that conversation, if nothing else, was uh, gave you something to think about, specifically as you're, you know, we're at the, at the beginning of 2023 here, um, halfway through Q1, and it's time to really put some of those plans in place. <laughs> so if there's something that you've been considering implementing or you're wondering whether or not this is worth your time doing or you're putting this system to, together in your practice, hopefully those four questions kind of help you think about it in more of terms of what's building value into the business. So one of the things that, that I keep coming back to in some of these conversations that I'll have with either private equity firms, like the ones that I was just talking about, or even clients at, at Rehab U, obviously we all went into business, specifically in healthcare, one, because we wanted to be able to treat and 
and deliver care on our own terms. And that's a big part of it. And then the other piece is you go into business because you're building value. You're going to create something that will hopefully be worth your time and investment of energy, sweat, sleepless nights in some cases, wondering where payroll is gonna come from. That's only worth it if the payout at the end gets you to where you want to be. And sometimes that means that just running just keeping the wheels on the bus is not enough when it comes to finally exiting or selling or retiring or however you want to do it. And not saying that everybody should consider selling to a private equity firm, but it is a mechanism. It is one of those off ramps for practice owners. And if that's the case, if that's what you want to do, um, I think Mike Pekatansky has said on previous episodes in this show that you know, those are fairly aggressive valuations. So when you when it comes to valuating a business, you're going to get a better valuation or a better sale price a lot of times from those private equity firms um, because they're looking at growth and scale and all of that. Um, so that would make sense that if this is one of the off ramps you're considering, that maybe what you want to do is begin looking at those those questions that are going to be asked by the analysts, by the the people that are looking and evaluating the deal. And you're gonna to wanna to have some of that data on hand. You're gonna to wanna to have some of the, the answers to those questions because if you can't explain it away, you're leaving a lot to be interpreted by the people that are going to essentially or eventually offer you whatever the, the multiple or the sale price is for your practice. So I think what I'm going to do, and shoot me an email and let me know if this is something you think would be helpful, but I've created a good number of dashboards for the clinic that I run proactive, but then I've also handed it off to a few clients as well, specifically around things like payer mix models and uh, performas and things like that that are that are based off of actual visits and cost per visit. And we use that to extrapolate into some of the marketing data. This will probably be part of all, an upcoming webinar or webcast on direct-to-consumer marketing because I think it's an important piece, understanding your cost per lead and your conversion rate and all of that. But having those kinds of numbers and figures can be very helpful to anybody who's evaluating the business to purchase. So if you can say, oh, for example, we know that you know 30% of our uh, 30% of our visits are coming from this one payer and this payer pays on average X number of dollars. We can come up with a weighted average for revenue per visit. And that helps again with projections and extrapolating into the future. And it can also show you yourself risks or areas for improvement. So a big, um, a big example here was in the practice that I run, uh, the, the revenue per visit dipped down for some reason. I was trying to figure out why we were seeing <laughs> a good number of visits, you know, 550 visits, and the, the money just wasn't coming in at that volume. Well, digging into the payer mix, I realized that, oh, we had contracted with uh, an insurance company who was paying us very, very low, like below what was profitable for our business. So we we promptly left that uh, that insurance network, and it bounced back up after the you know the ninety day wait period or whatever that you have to do to leave some of those payers. But that was an example of if I didn't have the data in front of me, if I didn't have that dashboard, I couldn't have looked at my weighted cost per visit or revenue per visit and realized that there was a problem. I would have just been looking at things going, well, for some reason we were making. X number of dollars when we were seeing 550 visits a month and now we're seeing less than that and what's the problem? So being able to break it down and get really granular has been very helpful for me in my own practice and then in, in the practices that I that I advise and I consult with. Um, I know that there are some 
softwares out there, billing softwares and, and the like that can give you some of those granular reports. Some are much more detailed than others. The one that we're currently have that we currently have will have a breakdown by insurance class, which can be helpful as an example. Um, but I like to get really granular and evaluate each individual payer because then it gives you a more accurate representation, right? Like if you have a big spread within a payer class, so let's say it's workman's comp, for example, um, and one workman's comp is going to pay, as an example, $50 a visit, and the other one is paying 100 Well, if you're looking at the insurance class and the average, you know, the average would be what, $75 a visit or whatever. But if 70 or 80% of your workman's comp patients are coming from that lower payer, it's going to throw everything off. It's going to skew it all. So I like getting really granular with specific payers. And now this is just an example. It's just something that I'm, I'm thinking about mainly because I was doing it for our own practice and for a client this week. So it's, it's top of mind. But things like that, figures and, and data that you have to support the revenue, the projections, where you think you're gonna go can all be very helpful when telling the story of your business to a potential acquirer or somebody that might be interested in purchasing your business. Because again, um, if you don't have that information or readily can readily answer those questions, then you're leaving a lot of that up to interpretation. And you know, people are, are risk averse, so that interpretation will probably not go in your favor. So again, hopefully, this is just uh, something that sparks in your own mind the the wheels turning about some things that you might want to implement at your practice or your healthcare organization to be able to answer some of those questions to a potential buyer, really with the, with the express purpose of adding value to your business. And uh, yeah, that's all I've got. So if you like the show, head on over to uh, iTunes, leave us a rating and review. It helps people find the show. Um, if you want to learn more about what we do at Rehab You Practice Solutions, how we can help you attract, acquire, engage, and retain more patients, head on over to marketing.rehabupracticesolutions.com. Uh, you can book a time to speak with me there, or you can just shoot me an email. Either one works. And lastly, if you want to be entered for the February drawing for the free audiobook and or paper copy of Better Outcomes, A Guide to Humanizing Healthcare, you can head on over to askanswer.co. I'll leave a link to it in the description and shoot me over a question. I will answer it and you'll get a personalized video response from me. And then all the people that ask us questions over the next month or so, we're going to get uh, entered into the drawing and we'll be giving away one free audiobook, an audible version of Better Outcomes, A Guide to Humanizing Healthcare, and one paperback version. So um, head on over and do that at askanswer.co. Until the next time, be safe, be healthy. I will talk to you then. Thanks for listening to the Better Outcomes Show, where we explore the possibilities of a new healthcare. Our hope is that you walk away from each episode informed, equipped, and empowered to push the boundaries in your own practice or business. We want to give you the tools to help you build strong, long-lasting relationships with your patients and clients, helping meet their goals, improve their health, and achieve better outcomes. Learn more at www.rehabupracticesolutions.com. We'll catch you on the next episode.